Good morning again, everyone. I hope that you had a good week. I'm thankful for having nurses and those around in our congregation that can help out in those types of situations. I um, also want to thank those of you that have served in our country in the military as we celebrated Veterans Day yesterday. It's important to recognize and honor those that step up in tough situations in life and come through for others. You know, as we come here today, um, you know, as I think about the week that we just had and how I always say, I hope that your week went well and it's good to see you guys here today. Um, you know, this week was a little bit different. You know, it was kind of a roller coaster in a lot of different ways in my life. Uh, it seems like I was distracted a lot. Uh, my mind had three or four different things that I needed to focus on at different points in time, and the enemy seemed like he was working some overtime to keep me distracted, to keep me away from what I needed to be doing. But, you know, throughout those days and throughout those times, I was able to combat that through praise, through worshiping the Father. And I spent some great time in prayer this week. I met with several people uh, that I prayed with and that I helped through uh, life situations and walked through some different things. So it was such a blessing that I had this week. And then we had Friday night, and that was a blessing to be with so many of you there. And then the benefit yesterday, it was just an encouraging time. I love to see how our body comes together to talk about serious things, to do serious things, to be the hands and feet of Christ. You know, it's something that's encouraging to my heart. You know, this whole week as I was praying, you know, I just, I prayed that all the things that I had to do this week would go smoothly. Now, perhaps that prayer was tainted with my own selfishness or definitions of what I envision as being smooth or good because as Beth had mentioned Friday, I'm not a person that loves conflict or contentious atmospheres, you know, um, but the enemy tried to attack in that anxiety, attack in sowing seeds of dissension or whatever it might be um, to try to get a foothold. And, you know, as I'm going through this, I'm also, you know, going through the message and knowing my title early on in the week was the new self and how that impacts reconciliation. And the enemy's like, oh, you're going to have some things that you need to reconcile for after this week. You know, and it, it was just a constant droning in your head, in your mind, as anxiety can creep in. Um, but, you know, instead of worry, instead of anxiety, the Lord gave me rest. And in timely ways. You know, I had a verse sent to me this week, Isaiah 26.3, which says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. You know, I was able to experience that peace in strong ways throughout, you know, anything that might have been contentious, anything that was a battle. And I got to dive deeper into the topics that we're going to be talking about today, such as reconciliation, such as grace. And I got to, to sit in Christ's victory over Satan. And that was just, it was reassuring, it was uplifting. You know, and I made sure that I would write the message midweek, that way if anything happened on Friday, it wouldn't be tainted by, you know, the message wouldn't be tainted by anything like that. You know, trusting fully that, you know, as we go through this process, yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be disagreements. But it just was reaffirming to me on Friday that as a body, we can come together and have some of those discussions. Living out what we've been talking about through the book of Colossians. Understanding the purpose of a church. Coming together to glorify Christ. Understanding how 
we're, we're practicing what Paul is calling the believers in Colossae to do. And as we finished that up last week, you know, um, I wanted to do kind of an epilogue to that letter. Today we're going to be going through the book of Philemon. It's a one-chapter letter. Um, it's just before Hebrews, so you can start to turn there now because, you know, you can easily flip past it. But as we've been talking a lot about the new self, uh, starting in Colossians chapter 3, we've talked about how the new self impacts different relationships that we, are, that we have in life, how Christ transforms us, and then that transforms how we interact in society. Um, you know, you think of the types of relationships that you do have. I mean, I'm sure that you have some relationships that are good, some that are bad. I'm sure that you have some that take a lot more work than others. Um, you know, when we come to Christ, if you've came to Christ later in life, perhaps you've experienced change in relationships that you have. Maybe how you view those people that maybe you didn't get along with as well because of the transformation that happens uh, in your own heart based on the forgiveness and reconciliation that you have with Christ. But how do we offer that same forgiveness and reconciliation to others? How does Christ in us impact how we treat others in that way. And within the letter of Philemon, it's going to show how important reconciliation is according to the word of God and how it needs to be lived out. So this letter is going to teach us about our relationships with others as a way to test and demonstrate our relationship to Christ, putting into practice what he has been given us, how the, the transformation handles social things, such as slavery, which is the example in the letter to Philemon. But, you know, in our day and age, we can have um, relations with the moral decline of our society, the rising crime rates, um, the increased godlessness in this country. So many things where we're just, you know, throwing up our hands, not knowing what to do. Well, how does Christ impact those types of things? How does Christ, through us, do that. So again, we're going to kind of combine some of the teachings that we talked about in Colossians, understanding the new self, um, and we're going to see the same thing kind of lived out in a more specific case in the book of Philemon. Again, understanding that life in Christ should change every relationship that we have. Um, you know, you think of the book of Romans and how it teaches that as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, so when you think about that attitude, when you think about that verse and understanding reconciliation, it, it, it drives you a little bit further to know what Christ has done for you. One other thing to consider before we read this passage. Um, you know, we get letters in the mail, right? Well, those are for us. We read those. Nobody else is supposed to read these. In this culture, it's a little bit different. This letter most probably would have been read aloud in front of the church congregation just as the letter to the Colossians was read. So we'll get into that a little bit um, in terms of some of the things that Paul is saying, but just kind of know that as we read through this and see if that helps your impact and understanding. So if you found the book of Philemon, I invite you to stand this morning as we read God's word. Beginning in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, 
to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Phia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the house and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have to the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even for your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow servant in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Father, as we turn to your word, Lord, I just pray that you would help continue to deepen our understanding of the new self and how we are to respond to the gospel message. Lord, in reconciliation, what that looks like in different areas of our life, and that you would continue to give us guidance. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. All right. So as we look at this letter, I'm going to try to break it up into three different sections this morning. Um, we're going to talk about how you measure a person in the first seven verses. And then over the next nine verses, we're going to talk about the power of the gospel. And then kind of tied with that, we'll talk about the last half of the, the book in terms of the power of persuasion and understanding what Paul is doing and saying to Philemon there. So again, this is a letter that is sent to Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and the church in their house. Um, it is one that illustrates the outworking of, the, of living the Christian life in ways that Paul has just taught through the book of Colossians. Again, these letters are probably being read and delivered at the same time. 
Um, and as we go back through Colossians, we understand what Paul is doing there in terms of teaching about right doctrine and having right ethics, challenging societal norms and understanding the impact that Christ has. And again, when you look at how this letter opens, um, I want you to be thinking about how you measure a person. You know, what are the characteristics that you look at? How do people have value in your eyes? And where does faith come into play with that? You know, where do their skills, where do their abilities come into play with how you're measuring someone? You know, if you think about those that might work in HR or employ people, a lot of times they're measuring people based on what they can do for the company, what kind of skills they have, can they match up to what the job is supposed to be doing? If you're looking at somebody to be a potential spouse, you're measuring in a lot of different areas of life. How do they measure up? How do you have value for that person? You know, and as we look at the, the greeting portion of this letter, you see Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. Um, now again, I think there's a couple reasons that Timothy's name is put in here. Um, one, because he's the leader of the church at Ephesus, which is about 100 miles east of Colossae. You would have... Uh, Laodicea in between them, so they're kind of neighboring churches, and all of their letters were passed around to each other. So it was one of those where they were partners in ministries as neighboring cities. Um, but you also, if you go back and you look at the start of Colossians, it starts in the exactly the same way, in terms of Timothy being included with the introduction of Paul, who is writing this letter. So Paul, I think, is taking some time as he is mentoring this young pastor in terms of how he is communicating and how he is encouraging the early churches. And then you have three people that are mentioned in terms of the audience, the object of who this letter is written to, right? Um, now, these three members perhaps are all members of the same family that's addressed because the church is meeting in their home. Early congregations were very dependent on more of the wealthy members in society because they would have homes big enough to accommodate churches. Um, so when you think about some of these larger cities, you might have had multiple gatherings. You might have had multiple places where churches were meeting. It's kind of assumed that Colossae being the size that it was probably had multiple places. Um, but this again, this letter is written for everyone that was there. But you know, in those days, um, you relied on those wealthy people to provide a place to meet because you didn't have big coliseums, you didn't have big facilities or mega churches um, in time, terms of that type of style of gathering. It was more home church-like, it was more intimate where you got to know one another and you walked through life. But since he is writing him this letter, since his church was the church was in his home, it's safe to assume that Philemon was wealthier and that he had a certain higher status in the society. Aphia, uh, most probably Philemon's wife, is mentioned because normally the wife would be in charge of the day-to-day -day tasks of the servants within the home. So she is probably named here because she needs to hear this, but at the same time, she's also a sister in Christ. So she also needs to hear and understand the teaching of reconciliation and grace that's being expressed in this letter. And then as we mentioned last week, it's believed that Archippus is Philemon's son or at least related to him in some way. Uh, we see, as Paul says, fellow soldier. It kind of signifies and connects back to the ministry piece that Paul prayed about in Colossians 4.17. 
that you have this ministry and I'm encouraging you to fulfill what God has put on your heart. So as a fellow soldier, you know, it's doing something with the gospel message. Again, it, just assuming that maybe he is the pastor of this church. He is the one that's kind of guiding this church. And then you see the familiar greeting in verse three with the grace and peace to you. And then the next four verses kind of get into how you see how Philemon is being praised by Paul. You see how Paul is measuring and valuing the character of Philemon's life. I want you to look at verses four and five. You know, you look at the wording that's used. You look at how Paul is, is expressing this. You know, uh, about a month or so ago, I put it in my sermon or my service to, you know, give words of praise, give words of encouragement. I sent out texts after that uh, for many of you to where, you know, as, as the Lord had put that on my heart, I wanted to s share how I saw many of you. Uh, and you think about how you receive that kind of praise. You know, when you see that kind of praise, does it encourage you? Does it build you up in the faith? Or do you reject it in humility? Like, oh, no, no, you, you don't need to say that. You know, we, we can have various ways that we respond to that. But when I looked at this passage, what I thought was, does my prayer life reflect the way that Paul is praising Philemon here? You know, as he says, because I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards Lord Jesus and for all the saints. You know, as we pray for others, do we pray about how thankful we are for that person to be in our life? And that value, what is that value that you measure them with? You know, is it attributed to their relationship with Jesus? Or is it attributed to what they do for you? What is the benefit that I get from them? And there's a subtle difference in that. Let me give you an example. You know, uh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for how so-and-so helped me do this because they're pretty skilled. Versus, Lord, I thank you that so-and-so loves you and is following your call to help others in this way. Lord, you have richly blessed them in this area and they are serving you well. You know, there's a subtle difference in where we're putting that praise. Is it on the person it's themselves or is it on the Lord and how that person is responding and obeying the Lord? You know, you think about how you value one another in this body. As you look around the room, how well do you know each other? Do you well, know each other well enough to measure, to value who they are in Christ? The gifts that they have, the ways that they serve. If we don't know each other well enough for that, why? I mean, I've been here for six years. Many of you guys have been here a lot longer. How well do you know one another? How well do you know each other's testimonies, stories, the ways God is impacting their life right now in this moment? The prayers, the concerns that they have. Because I guarantee you, not all the concerns are shared on a Sunday morning. We have weighty issues that we're living through. 
And the enemy wants, to th wants us to think that we're alone. But we're not. We are a body for a purpose. And do we value one another to go to each other, to ask for help, to ask for prayer, to ask for accountability? How is it that we are measuring one another? As Paul continues his acknowledgement, he is praying that Philemon's demonstration of faith and love would abound even more. Now perhaps some skeptical nature can kick in, like okay, you're being too nice, what do you want? Like why are you saying all of these nice flowy things about me? You know, and even though Paul does have a request, I want us to know and see that what he is speaking is the truth in terms of what he's speaking about Philemon, in terms of the impact that he has had on the saints' lives, in terms of his love and his faith and how it is refreshing to the saints. He is expressing his desire for the outgrowth of Philemon's faith even more because his faith refreshes others. And it's contagious. It's something that he wants to see go further and further. Because Philemon is somebody that is encouraging and building up the saints. He is encouraging the spirit. He is not quenching the spirit. He is pushing people forward in the faith. And that brings Paul comfort and joy. Now, within this prayer, especially as we do continue to read, we understand that uh, he is praying for his faith to be seen even more, and he is gonna present Philemon with an opportunity to live out that faith, to show that character tangibly of Christ, what that looks like within the community. But I want us to reflect on the praise that is given. Again, how are we telling each other the worth and the value that we see because of Christ being lived out in their lives? And how has that impacted our own life? Because it's important to share those things with one another, to build each other up in the faith, to draw each other closer to the Lord. Now, as he is giving him praise for his faith, Paul then shares the power of the gospel message. And this is our second point today. Paul says that he could use power, he could use his authority as an apostle, he can command Philemon to accept Onesimus as a brother in Christ. But instead of doing that, he is appealing to Philemon by the sake of love. He's appealing to Philemon because of love, because of what Christ has done in both of these people through the power of the gospel message. You know, so it's for the sake of the gospel message, for the love of Christ, for the impact that Christ has had in Philemon's life, Paul is asking him to do this. Now he could, again, he could order him around, he could demand that he behave and respond in certain ways because he has that authority. But instead, he is giving Philemon the chance to see the faith, to see the right course of action, to discern the truth of the gospel message, to understand that slaves are set free because of what Christ has done on the cross. It's a difference between telling your children and demanding them that they pray for their meals or at bedtime and showing them the value of Christ, where you're instilling them a desire to pray. You know, I can force my kids to pray before a meal, and they can begrudgingly do it. Or I can teach them the value of what Christ means in terms of being our provider, and instill in them a passion for wanting to praise God for that. Now, when they're little, you, yes, you gotta 
bring them along. You got to put that into practice. You know, even in youth group, as we're studying prayer, we do our study, and then I make them pair up and pray for each other, where we're putting that into practice. Yes, I can say things all day up here, but putting it into practice is your responsibility. I can't make you drink the water if I lead you to the water. You have to want to do that. So again, understanding that he could do this out of authority, but he wants to appeal based on the gospel message, based on love. Um, Now, there's also a few things that we need to understand as he is making this appeal and why this appeal is so important. So in in this time period, if a slave ran away, uh, the master would report it to the officials. The officials would you know, get a description of the person, they would get the person's name, and they would go on a wanted list. Any free citizen who found a runaway slave could assume custody of that slave. They could even intercede with the owner if they wanted to. A slave was not automatically returned to the owner, nor was a slave automatically put to death for running away. Um, after all, a slave was an expensive piece of personal property. So in this instance, because Paul finds the runaway slave, Paul could assume ownership of Onesimus. So we want to understand that that plays a big role in the mindset of what Paul is doing in terms of making this appeal. But Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. While he was in prison, we see this in verse 10. But then in verse 11, some of your Bibles might have this uh, bracketed in parentheses. Apparently, he's kind of softening the blow for Philemon that he's going to be seeing his runaway slave or just hearing his name. And he, instead, he's making a pun of Onesimus' name here. Because Onesimus means useful. And as we reread this, it could be seen as useful has been useless to Philemon, but now he is living up to his name, where he has proved useful to Paul, and he could be useful to Philemon as well. So instead of magnifying his sin, instead of magnifying the error that Onesimus had done, he is appealing to Philemon out of love. You know, First Peter 4, love covers a multitude of sins, and he is suggesting that uh, through the gospel message, Onesimus would be helpful to Paul because he is now a brother in Christ. You know, Onesimus is, um, he plays on his name because names meant something. Your name would define you in a lot of ways. Um, We see this in a lot of different areas. And there's another interesting connection in terms of the importance of names, um, where Philemon means affectionate or one who is kind. So if a slave is meant to live up to their name, why not the master? So Paul is sending him back to Philemon because he thinks the power of the gospel and reconciliation that can happen between these two would prove to be a wonderful testimony, a powerful impact for the gospel message. But how would that go? You know, you think through the times where you might have entered into those moments where you need to reconcile with someone where you have opportunities to live out the gospel message. Maybe through your week, you have different opportunities. How does that go? You know, every week, at the end, I pray that you would have these opportunities to share the faith. How many times have we? 
you know, you, first off, you got to be able to see the, those opportunities. You got to be ready for them. And then you got to take advantage when they come. So would this interaction, would this exchange go the way that Paul had hoped for? You know, even as Paul is appealing to Philemon, he's asking him to live out his faith, to reconcile. There's another point that we need to understand as well. It's also a step of faith being made by Onesimus here to return, to be reconciled. By returning, he would be entirely placing his, himself at the mercy of his master, whom he has already wronged. Now, yes, he is a slave. He is a bondservant. Um, Roman law can be cruel. Some masters were definitely cruel. Um, there were slaves that were crucified in the Roman Empire for a lot lighter offenses, it seems. But how would, how would Philemon treat him coming back? You know, so he would be wrestling with, do I go back, knowing how deeply I have wronged my master? Having that anxiety, having that fear, and then taking that step forward, saying, yes, this is the way to go because I'm following what the gospel message says. Keep that in the back of your mind. You know, when you put your own circumstances in these types of situations, I think it's difficult to return to people that we've wronged in the past. Or if you think it from the flip side, if you were the one that was wronged, do you receive those that come and ask for forgiveness? You know, in, in the matters of reconciliation, do you find it easy to accept? Do you find it easy to admit those times where you're wrong? Where it's not like, well, I guess, I, I'm caught. I suppose you're right. But no, from the bottom of your heart, admitting I was wrong. Not expecting anything in return, but speaking that truth to someone that you have wronged. Do we find it hard to seek out reconciliation? Being fully exposed in our errors, in our failures, to be at the mercy of the one that you've wronged. You know, and this type of questioning in our heart can strike a chord. Because here you see the truth of the gospel message where the gospel transforms every area of your life. But I don't want to go talk to that person from then. You don't know what they did to me. Oh, you don't know how I've hurt this person. I hurt them so deeply. There's no way they would talk to me. There's no way that they would listen to me. But through the power of the gospel message, we understand the transformation that can take place, that the gospel transforms completely. And then there's times that we just want to hold on to things, whether that's bitterness, whether that's anger, whether it's hurts. But we have to remember that confession involves humbly coming before our master to admit when we're wrong. Because as with this third point that I'm going to be drawing out, we're going to see the power of persuasion coming in, in verses 17 through 22, but it's based in the gospel message. So again, these points flow right into each other. Um, you know, and, and Paul, as he is Speaking this, he's not really dealing with the question of slavery per se in this in this letter. Even though Phi, even though Onesimus is a slave, um, but we want 
what we want to see in verse 15 and 16 is that even though he's not treating it as an issue of slavery, he's instead treating this as an issue of brotherly love. The point being that before he was a slave, but now he is a brother. He's, and as a Christian, how is he to be treated? This is the persuasion that we see from Paul here, where he is making this plea for reconciliation that's based in the gospel message. And he makes this plea, and then he offers to pay back anything that's owed. You know, as we read this here, what Paul is going to do, you know, he's going he's gonna to pay back if there's any price that, he, that needs to be owed. He's unaware of the specifics of Onesimus' case. He knows that he was a slave. He's going to return him. But if there was anything that he owed, if there was a debt that he owed because he's a bondservant or something like that, Paul says, charge that to my account. You know, you think about that phrase. He's basically saying, impute that to me. And then some of us that are, you know, a little bit more of the senior saint variety begin to, to run in your mind when you hear some of these words like imputation. And you think about the teachings in Romans and you understand what Christ has done for us. You see, what Paul is saying here illustrates so beautifully forgiveness that we see in the gospel. This illustration of, of the doctrine of God that is imputing our sins, our guilt to Christ where Christ voluntarily goes to the cross to pay the debt, and he says, put that on my account, and he nails it to the cross. To where even though we are wrong, Christ steps in and says, I want to be their substitute. I want to pay that atoning price. And here we see Paul living out the gospel message. He's not trying to be Christ. He's not trying to do the salvation, but instead the gospel message has impacted Paul so much that as he is becoming an imitation of Christ, he is mimicking what Christ has modeled for us to do. To be a substitute, to give our all for others. Paul's plan is that Philemon would accept Onesimus in the same way that he would accept Paul. And again, this illustrates the doctrine that we have in terms of a believer's acceptance by God through Christ. Because of what Christ has done, even though we have offended God, even though we have ran from God, even though we have stolen from God, he accepts us because of what Christ does. He calls us his own sons and daughters because we are covered by his blood. And Paul is desiring to be Onesimus' substitute. He is living out the gospel message to Philemon through his words. See, in this culture especially, words mattered. Words were so important. Your word was your bond. The name that you had carried weight. And they didn't speak words flippantly. For our word to be our bond would be imitating Christ's word, his promises to us, because we hold Christ to his word. We read the gospel message, we know that it's true, we put our faith in it that these promises will come to fruition. We look at the prophecies that are fulfilled through the Old Testament into the New Testament, and we await those that are yet to come. 
because his word is given. Do our words match the same weight? When we think about the people that that we know, that we are close to, how do we value or measure their word? Do they hold to the word in the way that Christ does? Or do they make promises that they cannot keep? You know, if Philemon received and forgave Onesimus, Philemon would be repaying, he would be benefiting Paul and encouraging him. So with this persuasion, it kind of goes back up to as Philemon had refreshed the saints in verse seven. So Paul is asking him to refresh his own heart near here at the end by forgiving and accepting Onesimus. But again, I point us back to forgiveness and reconciliation. To where nothing is done blindly, to understand that there are boundaries, that there's communication that needs to happen. But everything is to be done from the heart, everything that's done should be from a heart of understanding the gospel message. Where there should be an emphasis on how the new self impacts our desire to be reconciled to others. Now what's interesting about this letter, we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know if Philemon accepted Onesimus back because it doesn't say that. Now, scholars, and I tend to believe with this, I tend to agree with this, scholars kind of believe that since this letter is still in circulation, since Philemon continued to have this in circulation and we still have copies of it, that it probably did go in the way that Paul was hoping for. You know, it's not like Philemon heard that and then just took it out of the hands and ripped it up. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. But because this was passed around through the churches, because we have a record, it's believed that he did accept Onesimus back in as a brother in Christ. But what about us for today? How does the new self impact the gospel message to steer us to reconcile with others in those difficult areas of our lives? Do we have those in our life that we need to reconcile with? Now, as again, as I said before, reconciliation does not mean that you become best friends. But especially for us as believers, we are to be able to show the love of the gospel message because of the reconciliation that we have received from Christ is our example. And for Paul to continually encourage the church to live out these doctrines, this was believed to be a priority. To understand how reconciliation needs to be in each part of our lives, whether that's in our families, our churches, our workplaces, or our communities. So the same has to be true for us. You know, perhaps in your life you don't really have a lot of people that you have conflict with. Maybe you have multiple people. How are you addressing those conflicts? You know, I think that as you have conflicts with believers, you have some very strong examples and commands that are given to you in the word. As you deal with unbelievers, as Ken Ham says, you, you approach it differently, but still from the heart of the gospel, understanding what that reconciliation looks like there. My encouragement to you in the matters of reconciliation is to pray. Pray about it. Read your Bibles and be convicted by the Spirit Because just as in the same way that Paul is doing here, I can stand up here and I could order you to reconcile based on the commands that are in Scripture. 
And we want to be faithful to Scripture. We want to be faithful to the commands, so you better go do it. And I can appeal to you out of authority. But I'm just a man. Whereas the word of God is his word. And you see that truth and you see how the spirit can work in your life. And he is the one that transforms you. I can encourage you. I can tell you when you're going up the wrong direction. I can reproach you. All of those types of things. But at the same time, it has to come from the heart where it's a movement of God. Because if it's done begrudgingly, it's not going to be healing. As we pray, seek the words that the Lord puts on your heart to share. And it may be accepted. And it may not. But if it's not, as you are following what the word of God commands you to do, you will have a peace in your heart and mind about it. You might still have a burden to pray for that person. You might still have a burden that it's not the reconciliation that you're looking for. But at the same time, you might not know God's timing in that as well. See, the dynamic of the relationship um, that was once there can always change. But as you're following the Lord's guiding in your life, as you're in the word, as you're in prayer, as you're around like-minded believers to get that guidance, you're going to have a peace in your heart. As you're doing the things that you can do to reconcile with others. You think about just a simple illustration of the lost and the heart that God has for the lost. His desire is that none should perish, but all should come to him for everlasting life. His desire is to seek and save the lost, yet there are still those that reject him. Do you think that doesn't tear him up? Knowing where they're going to be going, because he is a just God, because he is a holy God. So the burdens that we have for the lost, the burdens that we have for those people in our communities where we're not reconciled with, matter. Yes, we're going we're gonna to screw up. We're going to have failings. We're going to say things out of anger, out of spite at times. But it's important for us to understand the reconciliation and the forgiveness that we've received so that we can bestow that upon others as well. Because the heart of our life needs to reflect the gospel message in all areas. Not just on Sundays when we're dressed nicely, but in the dirt, in the mud, in the grime of life where we get to be salt and light, where we get to share the gospel message and his presence and his spirit that lives within us to advance his kingdom forward. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to look at the purpose of the church and understanding how the new, in, new self impacts the different relationships that we have in life, Lord, I, just, I pray that you would put on our hearts right now those that we need to reconcile with those people that maybe we have hurt or that have hurt us. And Lord, as time goes on, you know, the saying is time heals all wounds, but sometimes that healing is a scabbing over or a scarring. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us boldness and strength to take that step of faith forward, to follow your calling and your guidance to reconcile with those that we need to reconcile with. 
Lord, as we understand the gospel message, as it impacts our heart and mind, Lord, we have that responsibility to change, to be transformed by your spirit because you have called us to such greater things. And Lord, for those other people, I just pray that you would be working in their life to prepare for future conversations. Lord, when we throw up our hands in disgust and, and don't know what to say or how to respond or how to interact with people that just seemingly hate us or revile us, Lord, help us to not respond in kind. Help us to not respond in anger, but rather have a peaceful heart and attitude to reflect your glory, your truth, your love. Help others see your son in our words and in our actions. Lord, we praise you today for the grace that we've received. We praise you for the opportunity to come and worship you. And Lord, I look forward to this week and the opportunities that will be before us to share your gospel message. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.